0: Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. Delighted to say, I'm here with Ed Everts. He's uh, with Excellius. Uh, he's a, an author, a, a coach, a podcaster of the of the Be Brave at Work podcast, and his latest book, Drive Your Career. Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you, Richard. It's thrilled. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. And you're coming to us. Uh, you just said it from a place called Wakefield on the East Coast, north north of Boston. Is that right?
1: That's correct. We're about 20 minutes uh, north of Boston.
0: Great. Um, so how does one end up as a uh, a writer in this field of uh, of, of careers and a, and a podcaster? Give us a little bit of your backstory be- before we get into, into some of your content a bit.
1: So I started uh, my professional career uh, in retailing and I spent about 25 years in a variety of retailers in New England, uh, in human resources. So, you know, the business component I satisfied and worked in was human resources. And I did that for about 25 years in a variety of capacities. And then I left retailing in 1998 and went to work for a business-to-business services company called Iron Mountain. And I was at Iron Mountain for about 10 years. And, you know, at Iron Mountain, we did records management, whether it was paper or virtual, but, uh, you know, the focus was helping people maintain and store their records. And I did that until 2008. I was laid off in 2008. And at that point, uh, you know, first of all, I got laid off on June 1st. And if there's any good time to get laid off, it's the beginning of summer. So I took the summer off to really think about what I wanted to do next. And, you know, I just didn't really feel like I wanted to go work for another company. I had done it for now 25, 30 years and felt I had Achieved everything I could achieve or didn't achieve everything that I uh, wanted to achieve and, you know, thought potentially working on my own and being an independent consultant might be a better way to go. So, you know, with the blessings of my significant other, I took the summer and started to network with people. And to that point, I had hardly networked at all. So this was a kind of a new activity to do to figure out what I wanted to do next. And by September of that year, 2008, I decided I wanted to open up my own practice, and that I wanted to do leadership coaching and team coaching. And then in April of the following year, 2009, launched my website, which might not might not sound significant, but that's really the you know the business card or the place people can now go to kind of validate that you're real. And so, uh, yeah, I really look at starting my business in April of 2009 and. Uh, For the last 12 years, I have been working with leaders in all organizations and all industries at all levels, helping them be more successful. And this fast-paced world that we're in really requires people to take some time to think about themselves and figure out where they're going and why they want to go there. I also do team coaching, which is helping leaders and their teams be more productive and effective. And then I also do business strategy work. So I help really smaller companies who are at a pivot point in their development, figure out where they want to go next, either due to a new acquisition or new geography or a new product or service. So, you know, those are the, the kind of the three areas that I work most in today.
0: Right. And there may be some people listening here who are in corporate jobs, and maybe they've got some, some part of them that would like to step out and do something different. What, you know, what have they been there? Yeah, again, we'll definitely get onto onto the book and so on. But what what were the major lessons for you just going independent and going through that process i'd be interested
1: well you know uh my podcast is called be brave at work and everyone thinks that i was brave when i started my own uh practice i started it in 2008 and in the u.s of course that was our last recession that uh really pummeled the you know the world in respect to just business and uh uh, interaction, you know, uh, professionally with others. So it was a tough time to really look for a job. And that's one of the things that drove me to a consulting industry. But, you know, there are people who think about leaving, you know, oftentimes when I speak with an HR leader an organization, you know, 90% of our conversation is about a client and 10% is about, so Ed, how did you do what you did? How did you leave corporate? <laughs> yeah, just just asking a, for a friend. Yeah. I'm just asking, <laughs> I'm just asking for a buddy. Uh, Yeah, so there's this curiosity that I think people like the idea of being their own boss. They have these visions of flexibility and more freedom of time. Corporate life today, especially in the U.S., is tough. And, you know, I look at clients' calendars on a recurring basis, and there's three or four things at the same time. You know, people don't respect each other's calendars. They just book time, and they expect you to be there. So people are pulled in multiple ways at multiple times during the day. And sometimes they say, you know what, I want to be more in charge of my time and in charge of the work that I'm doing and choose who I want to work with and not feel as though, you know, I'm a fish at the end of a, a fishing line that's getting pulled in constantly to all types of activities. So, so, you know, one lesson might be to be thinking about if you are still employed, you know, where you want to be in the next few years of your life. And if it is independent consulting, which I think is a fantastic area to go into, you know, start thinking about the building blocks that you would need in order to transition successfully. I had no transition time. When I lost my opportunity at Iron Mountain, I was surprised. You know, I did not think I was going to be losing my job. My performance review was due. And my boss said, hey, come on in. I'm ready to give you your performance review. And before that conversation started, which by the way, it never started, she said, I actually have something else to tell you, which is we made a decision to Uh, let you go from the organization. So, you know, I had no time to plan. And I instantly said, uh, wow, you know, I've got to really think about this and what I want to do next. So, you know, some type of pre planning might help uh, in respect to, you know, transitioning to your own independent career. Right, right. Um, And it sounds to me like the networking was,
0: was very important, right, in the early days for you to in, in your success.
1: It was, so I you know, had been in New England for 30 years and you know, I tell this quick story that I became a member of a networking group of senior HR leaders who were in transition. So these are VPs or CHROs, so these are people who reported to presidents or chairmen of the board, but the senior HR leader, uh, these were people in transition. And I got invited to come to the meeting because at the time at Iron Mountain, I was a senior level HR leader and I went into the room to meet people and at that time because it was 2008 there were like 25 people in the room and guess how many of them i knew zero. zero i did not know one of them and i went home to my wife that night and said i'm in trouble you know i am in trouble i just walked into a room with 25 other hr leaders from new england where i have worked for the last 25 to 30 years and i don't know one of them so I instantly realized that networking and this activity of connecting with others was going to be super important. So I started to tell some friends and family members about my thoughts of independent consulting and potentially focusing on coaching. Do you know anyone? A good friend of mine connected me with a coach. I can still remember that first meeting, where we had it, what he said. And that just started the ball rolling. And I asked the important question after each networking event, gee, is there somebody else that you can think of that would be valuable for me to speak with? Because you want to keep that ball going. And he said oh yeah let me give you two or three names and i talked to those two or three people and i asked them you know it's like the old commercial you ask one person and they'll tell someone and they'll tell someone so by the end of the summer i had networked with everyone so you know that's a really key activity and in my first book raise your visibility and value i i don't dis networking but i do say that there's a a broader activity that you should focus on which is called raising your visibility so within your organization or within your industry, you need to be as visible as possible. And there are a variety of activities, including networking that you need to do, but networking is not it. And for a lot of people, they believe that networking is it, that all you have to do is network and that's how you'll find your next opportunity. And in reality, I believe that it's a series of activities, not just networking that can allow you to do that. So networking is super critical. Two other quick things I'd mentioned. Richard, uh, one is ensuring that you have strong spousal support. So, I fortunately had a spouse who said, You know, Ed, I'm a little bit nervous with you not looking for a job, but if you think this will work and you're convinced that you can do this, I'm ready to go along for the ride. And so, you know, nothing will end your career search quicker than a spouse saying, I need you to get a job. You know, I can't keep waiting. I can't live in this income stream that's very inconsistent. So, if you could get a job, that would be great. Uh, So that's, uh, you know, super important as well. And then, you know, having a strong financial foothold is important. I'm not saying everybody has to be a billionaire, but, you know, it's hard to transition to a new opportunity if you don't have the ability to make the turn. And so people talk about making the turn, which could take two, three years. I mean, it's not a short term uh, transition for most people. Some people can be very successful and do it quickly. And those were probably the people that planned before they moved. But others, it'll take a few years and you need to be able to do it. And so, you know, those are just a few things that I think about in reflection that were important to help me transition from a corporate job to independent consulting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and your point about
0: um it's not just about visi- it's not just about networking, it's about visibility resonates. I remember a, a CTO that I did a lot of work with earlier in my career, and he was brilliant at getting out on the conference circuit. And what was interesting for me to observe was. The benefits that had for him within the organization, because he was out there doing these conferences, but it, it, it gave him um, this extraordinary parent presence within the organization. People had a different listening for him because they would see him out there on the stage and, you know, perhaps in the business pages of newspapers and so on. And it, it had a, a huge impact on his career internally within that organization, I noticed.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is an area that a lot of people could do a lot better in. And unfortunately, you know, it comes with really two stories. One story is that somebody who's out in the conference market or on panels or doing presentations are doing it for themselves, right? And they're just looking for that next opportunity or they're looking to aggrandize themselves within their industry, et cetera. And that might make employers uncomfortable, right? Hey, you know, stop going out and talking to people. We like you and we don't want you to go anywhere. Uh, but in reality, it helps the organization because the more visible you are, The more marketing the organization gets, you're also learning about things that you can bring back to your organization. So you're meeting other people who could be great players at your organization. You're bringing back ideas and concepts that maybe were outside the realm of thinking for your organization. You know, there's a lot of benefits to getting out into the industry and connecting with others and being as visible as possible. So in Raise Your Visibility and Value, I share share seven visibility accelerators. And one of them is engaging more with your industry, right? That in order to be visible within your industry and organization, you have to get out. I will tell you during my time at Iron Mountain, uh, and I was there for 10 years, I got out never. I was not part of any organization. I did no networking. I love the honesty, Yeah, I, I'm serious. I bled blue for the company and I was busy. I was highly busy. And, and that's what happens. Uh, you get so busy and so caught up in what you're doing that you don't have time to think about the next step until something happens. And one day you're called in and told you're being let go. And now suddenly all that stuff you haven't been doing becomes super important, right? And so don't wait until something happens and you can take baby steps. It's not like doing a million things every week, but you know, once a month, once every couple of months, go to a conference, talk with people, you know, do those types of things to start building that muscle of networking and building your visibility within your organization and industry.
0: Right. And yeah, I mean, I do love how honest you're being here. And you're really allowing, it's very generous, really, you're allowing people to learn from your failure here, you're being honest, you know, you got fired, you got laid off, you hadn't done all of this. And now you can tell, you know, you can share others that that lesson. I think that's uh, you know, such, such an important um, uh, facet of communication, right? That we should be sharing our, our failures with each other. It, you know, it does help us. Yeah,
1: I mean, this can happen uh, today, especially in the United States. This can happen any day during the year. I can remember 20 years ago working corporately and people either never got laid off or it always happened in January, right? That the new year was kicking off and we were doing some restructuring. But in my memory, it just rarely ever happened. Today, 365 days a year, you can get an email saying, hey, we just restructured the IT department and, you know, so-and-so is going to, and it just happened, right? So people need to know that uh, their tenure with an organization can end instantly due to business or changes of business model or whatever it might be. And you need to be prepared. And if anyone should be prepared for these types of behaviors and activities, it's you, right? I mean, there's no night on a white horse who's going to ride in and say, "Hey Ed, I heard you got laid off. Let me help you. You know, let's turn this around." You know, I woke up the next day and said, "Wow, what am I going to do? You know, how am I going to navigate through this? And I had two young daughters, uh both of them still needing to go to college at the time, so there were significant financial uh uh, uh expectations that we had and, you know, things of that nature, so I'm not warning people that it could happen, but I'm just suggesting that they're more thoughtful about who they are and what they're doing in order to be better prepared.
0: Right. Well, and I think it's it's sort of well established, right? The job, job security has re- reduced significantly, right, over the last uh, few decades. Um, so you know it, it, uh, it's pertinent um, what you're sharing here. Um, the other thing that comes to mind is a recent guest was a, a John Hagel. I don't know if you come across him. He's another management thinker, and um, he he made this point on the podcast, which I love that about this idea of getting to the edge that um we, we've had a lot of um popularization of the idea of a of a learning organization which is all about you know how can we learn from our failures internally how can we have an open culture where we're free to fail and all of that and all of that is absolutely uh, appropriate and something that we should be in a conversation about but and here's the but a lot of the value that companies can derive now is from, is from outside of their organizations. And he talks about getting to the edge and creating new knowledge, creating new knowledge with others on the fringes of your organization. And so not only is there this personal benefit, as you describe it, by getting out there and raising your visibility and increasing the size of your network, but you, and you alluded to it, but you can, you, can br- you can go out there, create knowledge and bring that back into your organization. And actually it, it uh, not only makes you more valuable as an individual, it creates value within your organization.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. And so when I talk about raising your visibility and also value, you know, the value piece is about how you provide value to your organization. And I would agree with John that one of the ways I can do that is to bring in new ideas, new thinking, new strategies that just don't exist within our corporation. You know, we are only as good as the people we have and they only have certain amount of thinking in their head, right? So we have to constantly be looking for uh, new ways to approach things, new fresh ideas. And so when I talk about raising your visibility, and this is such an important component, it is not just all about you. So it's not about you becoming more visible or you uh, looking for your next opportunity uh, if you're employed, et cetera. but it's about providing your organization value by bringing back what you're experiencing and learning. You know, I can remember, and this never worked well, but it kind of followed this model that when uh, employees at Iron Mountain went to a conference, there was an expectation that when they came back, they would do a 15 or 20 minute presentation on what they learned, right? So we could all kind of be there with you or hear what you experienced. So it was not just about you, right? But, you know, so tell us, what did you learn at the conference? What was talked about? What was interesting? What was different? It didn't always work because people... Either never did it, or we forgot to ask them, or things of that nature. But it was that same mindset, I think, that John's talking about, which is, you know, you're at the edge now, outside of the organization. What can you bring back to us that can help us grow and evolve in ways that beforehand we would not have done because we just didn't know about it. Yeah, no, that's right.
0: And I think I think the other important aspect of that is that we know ne- there's this tendency of organizations to um, to converge. Towards homogeneity, right? We tend to become, we tend to hire people more like ourselves. Groupthink sets in. We tend to end up as, as monolithic in our in in, the, in our thinking, right? And in our structures and so on. And that just seems to be something that happens somehow naturally in organisations. And so there has to be a constant push against that if organisations are going to going to adapt. A conscious and proactive push against that if organisations are going to adapt. It seems.
1: Well, part of what you're describing, uh, Richard, is psychological safety, which is an area that comes up on the Be Brave at Work podcast on a frequent basis, which has to do with creating a place where people can be themselves, where people can say what they want to say without fear of judgment or ridicule or eye rolling, but that they can just say, you know, Richard, can you go back over that idea again? I still don't understand what you're saying. Today, we won't say that because we're embarrassed that people are gonna go, oh my gosh, we just talked about this for five minutes. Do we have to keep talking about this? Uh, but you know, it creates this psychological safety and you can only fight hom- homogeneity if you are creating a place of psycho- uh, psychological safety where different people with different perspectives and different ideas can be themselves. But what we do is we create the opposite which is, here's how we're gonna run the meeting. You're all gonna behave this way. We're gonna be done by 10 and then we'll move on. And there was just nothing happening at the meeting that was of interest or created a new experience for people. So I love the concept of psychological safety. It is absent in most organizations today. And until we get to that point where people can feel more psychologically safe to say what they wanna say and do what they wanna do without fear of judgment and ridicule, you know, we'll never get
0: there. Well, let's dwell on that point for a little, because you know, I think that's that's again a really pertinent um to you know, how organizations need to evolve right now. So, w- what have you learned from your career in terms of means or methods for achieving psychological safety in groups?
1: Well, it starts with the leader. So, you know, the leader has to be somebody who aspires to ensure that people can say what they need to say and do what they need to do in order to make great progress. So this is a business model. This is not, you know, it's it's called psychological safety. So it sounds touchy feely, but, you know, this is a business model and the leader needs to recognize that this is a business model to ensure that we're bringing out the best of you. And if we if we can't bring out the best of you and who you are and what you think, you know, people are not going to say something like, you know, gee, can I just add for a moment, we've been talking now for the last 20 minutes about X. I'm wondering if there's another way to do this. And everyone's gonna be like, oh, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Another way, you know, we're just not welcoming of that type of behavior. So the leader has to set the expectation as to how he or she wants the team to operate. The leader needs to demonstrate it and show psychological safety so people can kind of see it in action. Support it, right? And say, Ed, I'm thrilled that you're uncomfortable with the topic we're talking about. Tell us more about what you're thinking. We really want to hear it. So unless those three things are in place, you know, the the, uh, opportunity for psychological safety is absent. For example, I work with an organization that's based in the Boston area, and the meeting is led by the president. And when I say led, it doesn't start till he arrives. He runs the meeting. He does most of the talking. And it ends when he's done. And everybody are like little puppies sitting there listening. And we're trying to, and I'm trying to work with him because he wants to have a more psychologically safe environment. But it's very hard for him to do personally uh, because he's concerned about the abilities and capabilities of his team. And at some point, you just got to let go and just let them do it. But uh, it's, it's very, very hard to do. And you know, I'm experiencing this today with clients, and I anticipate experiencing this for some time with clients, because it still hasn't caught up with, uh, you know, modern management thinking. Right. And why is it, do you think that that, that, that leader behavior is the critical factor here? Well, it's, it's, you know, I wish I could think of a, a brilliant metaphor, but, uh, you know, it does start at the top. And most people want to ensure that they have a good relationship with their boss. And one way to have a good relationship with your boss is to do as your boss does or to do what your boss says. And so when I go to a meeting, unless my boss has said, hey, I want to run the meeting a little bit differently today. I want to start exploring something called psychological safety. Here are three things that I'd like all of us to practice. Right. It's not something where you just flick a switch and start doing it. So, you know, let's over the next few months start practicing this. Uh, it's not going to happen. People are going to. Uh, follow their boss's lead. And in that example I gave a few minutes ago, you know, the boss is in charge. And because the boss is in charge, it's highly unlikely someone's going to say, hey, you know, I think there's a different way that we could run this meeting than you're running it. I mean, it's just not going to happen. I might say that confidentially to that person, or if we go out to for a drink at a bar and I suddenly have the bravery to say, hey, there's something I want to tell you. But the likely of it, uh, the likelihood of it happening is nominal. So my experience has been, and my observations have been uh, uh, in the marketplace that it starts with the leader, the leader wanting to have psychological safety, the leader uh, uh, demonstrating psychological safety and the leader rewarding psychological safety. Without those three components, I don't believe it's going to happen. So they've got to want it. They've got to demonstrate it and they've got to reward, to reward it. it. Right. They've got yep, to they- want it. Right. And that's yep, have, right, have to okay. want it, they have to demonstrate it to show people what they're talking about. I mean, you can get up there and uh, talk about it forever. But, you know, the old saying, you know, good, commu- good communication isn't what I've said, it's what you've heard. So I don't know what you've heard, right? You might be, you know, looking at your cell phone and not paying attention at all. So, you know, I have to talk about it in multiple ways. I have to demonstrate it and say, and, and you can be extremely transparent and say, I want to do something now to demonstrate psychological safety. I just want to show everyone what it is that we're talking about and this could be you know that same meeting or it could be a couple of months later and then you have to reward it because if people feel punished by saying hey I disagree with what we're talking about people aren't going to people will go quiet and never demonstrate psychological safety because they're in fear of losing the relationship they have with their boss because they did something they shouldn't have done at the meeting.
0: I really like that. I've not heard it put that way before. I really like that. Yeah, um, you can't pay lip service to it. It can't be just another fad or something that you're saying you want to do. Right? You've got to genuinely love it. You've got to demonstrate it, and it's almost like you don't just demonstrate it. You label the fact that that's what you're doing. Right? So that right. generates some curiosity in this thing, control safety. Oh, that's what he's driving at, or she's driving at. Right? I, I that no, labeling, I, of that. It, I think is interesting um, and in, probably an important point. Because it may not get picked up on as easily, right? Unless you're labeling it, signaling it. And then as yeah, you say, rewarding it. Like, like well done for speaking up or like, yeah, exactly. Well done for right, listening and, to that person, right?
1: And it could be as transparent as, hey, I just want to pause the meeting for a minute. I just want to observe Richard just did something, which is what I've been talking about. I want us to do more of, right? So Richard disagreed with Susan about something she was talking about. He did it respectfully. So respect is a very important part of the equation because when people think about bravery or courage or psychological safety sometimes they think we are being disruptive or impolite and in reality and this is the work that I do with clients and are you know embedded in the books I've written always being respectful right you're never going to make progress generally speaking if you're not respectful and courteous to others so that's an important component of this as well
0: Right, man, and that comes up so often. Right, this podcast is about being human, but that respect for others, respect for people, it's it goes right through the core of all the agile and lean thinking, all the way back to the Toyota production process. What's the core of that philosophy is respect for others, respect for people. It's coming up in in coaching, conversation, psychological safety, people. It's just everywhere, right? It's it's so important and so easily forgotten. Right, we you, we we turn each other into resources. I mean, you know that's former HR professional, right?
1: (laughs) Well, disrespect oftentimes creates a feeling. And an area that I'm growing in my interest level, Richard, is how people feel at work, and how we make others feel at work, because feeling is something that happens. I don't say to myself, oh, I think I'm going to get angry right now and get angry it just happens, right? Yeah. So yeah. You know, the, the feeling is something we need to manage, right? Through self-awareness, but disrespect creates a feeling in others that is corrosive. And it oftentimes, I can't even remember what you said to me, but I remembered how it made me feel, right? I got so upset that day uh, because of how you, you know, and then if we peel it back a little bit, you might be able to remember what it was I said or how I said it that made you feel that way. But, you know, feeling is uh, such a uh, uh, important aspect of environment you know i'm reminded of the maya angelou quote i'm sure i will now butcher but it's you know people won't remember what you said when you said it but they will remember how they felt right they will remember you know i can't remember what he was talking about but wow i felt so inspired that day based on what he was saying it's just something that influences us significantly yeah no
0: that's uh I just uh, have instant recall to a, a tiny interaction that happened a few few earlier this week I was in a meeting and it, I had this slot for speaking and the most uh important person in the room the most senior person in the, in that particular meeting had obviously decided that it, you know he wanted to cut short what I was talking you know he, he felt like this was an end of this and he wanted to create some straight just said okay thank you thank you Richard thanks for your contribution right okay anybody else and I'm like hang on you know I, I thought I had five minutes left and you know, I didn't feel safe enough to, to challenge him in that moment, um, but it did make me feel, it made me feel really small in that moment. I've carried that for days afterwards. And should you bring it up? It's still right there, right? I can't remember exactly what he said, but I can damn well remember how I felt.
1: And think about that way. So now that person, whether they realize it or not, are role modeling and I wouldn't be surprised if others went back to their meetings and behaved in a similar way, because that's how the boss operates, right? So uh, senior leaders need to recognize more, and this pertains to psychological safety, but so many other aspects of leadership that people are watching them. And, you know, they're not watching them with, you know, a telescope and studying on that deeply. But, you know, they're observing and they're watching. And these are behaviors that they believe are accepted by the organization. So that interaction with you didn't feel good. It was not demonstrating psychological safety. It was not treating you with the amount of respect that you thought maybe you deserved or would have been appreciated. And so, you know, the outcome was all negative.
0: Yes, and it's almost like you need, you need enough of it to become self-perpetuating. Because I'm also thinking of an interaction I had where I presented some results of a team survey. I was doing some coaching of a team. And yeah, I wanted to move quite quickly through the data. To get people into breakout rooms such that we could discuss it, so I was I was very transparent about that. I said, you know, this is the data. Very quickly, talked through what the key themes were, and I said, you know, I'm I'm not going to take questions on this now. I'm not going to dive into it now because I want to give you the opportunity to go deeper with it in smaller groups, and you can pick which themes you want to go into. And I, that's how I ran it. And then I got some feedback after the meeting was like, you know, we we felt really disrespected when you you cut that conversation off on the data because we'd contributed to that. You didn't tell us where that data was going to go. It seemed to me, it seemed to us like you were being very dismissive of this data. And I had no clue. Like I had no clue that was the impact it was having, but I'm just reflecting now there was no psychological in the safety in that room for those people to say, Hey, Richard, wait, wait a minute. Uh, We're not ready for you to just move on. We want some time on this. Right. So it's so interesting that once you don't have it, it's so easy for even the most well-intentions of us, of us to make these mistakes, right?
1: Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, the situation you just described happens every day all the time, right? Where people do not raise their hand. They do not jump in at the moment to say, Hey, Richard, before we move on, can I just mention something or add something? So they don't feel psychologically safe. They suppress it. And then they do what often people do is they go to the water cooler and they talk about it. Oh, could you believe at that meeting that Richard went through that so quickly? That was terrible, blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm going to send him an email. And you know that feels like the, the strategy where the, the more effective strategy, because others can learn from it and see it in action, is to just say, hey, before we move on, Richard, would you mind if I just asked a quick question? To which I'm sure you would have said, absolutely. And they yeah, of course up. I would
0: have said, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's, I mean, it's not that, I mean, t- willfully doing this, it's, it's so easy for any of us to be disrespectful unknowingly.
1: Leadership is hard. So it requires constant management and awareness as to how you're behaving and what's happening. Uh, The goal of a meeting is not the meeting. And that's like the client I was just talking to. In his mind, the goal is the meeting, agenda, start on time, finish on time, done, check the box. But what's happening in that room is role modeling, leadership development. uh, What I should say, what's not happening, but should be, is role modeling and leadership development. And you know, we're working on it to get it to that point. But right now it's not happening to the degree that it could.
0: Brilliant. That's such a good insight. And that totally pertains. Well, both to those both of those examples, right? The, when I was on the receiving end of it, it was this guy was like, okay, he was all about content and what he wanted to achieve in what, the remaining time. And the same for me, like I was all about my structure and how I wanted to organize it. And the next thing, yeah. I wasn't sending my feelers out, you know, okay. People ready to move on. And he, you know, I wasn't doing that right. Yeah, no, that's a good that's a great insight. Um, and one of the themes we touched on then is one of the themes in, in your book, uh, Drive Your Career. Well, let's just give a, a summary of what that book's about. And then and the topic I was going to pick up on was this positive relationship with your boss. But yeah, just outline the book. And
1: then perhaps we'll pick up in a, on a few themes in the, in the time we've got remaining. Sure. Uh, Raise Your Visibility and Value was really about my corporate career. Drive Your Career has been about my consulting career, my coaching career over the last 12 years. And about two or three years ago, I just noticed by chance, you know, I had one of those in the shower moments where there were certain stories or interactions that I was having with clients that were very consistent. So regardless of their level, whether they were a supervisor or a president or whether they were were in pharmaceuticals or uh, law or manufacturing, whatever it might be, there were certain anecdotes or stories or ideas that constantly came up naturally. I didn't bring them up purposefully, but based on their experience or what they were experiencing these things just came up and so i said "Gee, i wonder if i could organize those thoughts and, and see what they are so jump to three years later you know i published this book called drive your career which has nine uh, ideas that have naturally come up in the conversations that i've had with clients over the last 12 years to help them be more in charge or driving their career and i find that some people are passengers and they are there for the ride and at some point, they'll wake up and say, how did I get here? What am I doing? But, you know, in reality, they should have been more of a driver, purposely thinking about where are they going? What do they want to do? And then filling in the activities between where they are and where they want to go, right? And you're driving to get there. So folks who read the book, and it's a, you know, in my mind, a simpler book, it's about 160 pages, uh, high ideas on things that you could do more effectively, regardless of who you are or where you are to be more of a driver of your career right
0: and then right at the top of that list yeah positive relationship with your boss and how many people out there feel like their boss sucks or they have a a sucky relationship with their boss you know what what wisdom do you have to share on that topic i'm sure there'll be plenty of people who want to know
1: well, I uh, did not put the ideas in order of importance. So, number, chapter one isn't the most important idea and chapter nine is the least important idea. I think they all have equal weight. However, I will tell you that I purposely put uh, how to have a positive relationship with your boss first because in my 12 years as a coach, I would say, and I, I'm not a statistician, so I wasn't tracking this technically, but you know, I would say 85% of my clients wish they had a better relationship with their boss. Now they weren't all enemies, but either professionally or for career development purposes, and sometimes they were enemies. They felt or believed that they needed to have a more professional relationship with their boss. And so when you think about your role in an organization, when you think about being more of a driver, you have to have a positive relationship with your boss because if you, do, you know, quite frankly, anything is possible. And in the story, which is a real story about a person employed at an organization, His first boss is somebody who he had a great relationship with. And so promotions were given, raises were given, great projects were given. I mean, everything was fantastic. That boss moved on, a new boss came in, not have a great relationship with that boss. And ultimately he ended up leaving the organization. So, uh, you know, it directly influences your experience. And we've heard lots of studies that, you know, people don't leave jobs because of money or experience. They leave because of their boss. Uh, you know, I've not done any of those studies myself, so I believe that they're out there and I certainly believe the research that has come out of them. But you know, having a positive relationship with your boss is a key activity for individuals to be more successful and to ensure that they're driving their career. Right.
0: And so what are some of the areas in which people struggle in that relationship with their boss and, and how have you been able to help people?
1: Well, sometimes it is something as simple as visibility. So I have had clients who see their boss, you know, sometimes maybe a half hour a month. And you're saying, what, right? A half hour my, a month. In fact,
0: my brother had exactly that.
1: He had a, yeah. he had a
0: boss in another country. And yeah, that he hadn't, yeah.
1: Well, exactly and that. these sometimes are people who are in the same building, but just due to schedules and requirements and travel, they just don't see each other. And some people think it's a compliment, right? Hey, my boss doesn't have to supervise me. My boss isn't always checking in on me. I don't think it's a compliment. I think it's more a reflection of those two people's lives. And so, uh, you know, if in fact, and I would ask all of our listeners, how do you view your relationship with your boss? And do you think it could use improvement? If you think it could use improvement, what's one or two things? Not many, but what's one or two things you could do a little differently? To ensure that you're making progress. And one of them needs to always be that I'm having visible time with my boss. And You know, I can't tell you whether it's an hour a week or an hour. You know, I don't know what the right time is based on your industry and relationship, but you need to ensure that you're driving. You own this. You're finding time to get in front of your boss, to talk about projects you're working on, to talk about client relationships you're building. And also, and this is the real critical piece, sometimes not to talk about projects and clients, but to talk about you. How am I doing? How am I enjoying this? You know, and a lot of times we don't do it because we don't think our boss cares. So so you're asking me, Ed, to go in and talk to my boss about how I'm doing and how I'm liking my job. And they've got like 5 billion things going on and they're gonna be like, why are we talking about this? But if you're not talking about you and if you're not trying to put yourself in the spotlight from time to time, not often, you're not doing justice to your career development. Is that a this? demanding it, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's demanding it, it's scheduling it. Now what might happen, for example, you schedule time with your boss and again i 'm a big fan of transparency so hey boss i 'm looking to build a better relationship between us I think we could get uh, uh, improve our relationship in ways that could help us both professionally I'd love to speak with you about an hour per month we could break it into two half hour sessions or an hour per month or two hours per month again whatever your magic number is uh, and and at sometimes you know at, at sometimes I'd love to talk about clients and projects and initiatives at sometimes I'd like to talk about me and my career development and how things are going for me I'd love your advice I'd love to hear from you your experiences right and you have to repeatedly do it because if you do it once and the boss says hey I'm not that interested or I don't think that's a good use of time it will never happen you want to keep going back and saying this is really something that's important to me I really do want to find time to do it Let's do it over breakfast. We're both here. I see you sitting across the cafeteria and I'm on the other side of the cafeteria. Let's just sit at breakfast and we can talk about it. We don't have to add it to our calendar. We can use time we already have to do this. But uh, what I attempt to stress in the book, Richard, and I, I really hope people take action around is how is my relationship with my boss? Could it be better? And what are one or two things I could do differently to be more effective?
0: Right. And I love the way you're framing that as it's, it's my responsibility, right? And it, it, it links with that. Uh, I don't know if you've come across Jocko Willink, the um, ex-Navy SEAL. He's, he's got this concept of total ownership. So we own all of the relationships, including the ones upwards, right? So take ownership of the relationship and manage it. Right? I, I think that's such an important.
1: Well, the amazing. subtitle to drive your career is nine high impact ways to take responsibility for your own success. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Is- yeah. Again, there is no white uh, knight on a white horse that's going to ride in and save the day. If you're not doing it, if you're not looking to build your career and looking for easy ways, these are not complex. And you know, the hard part, I think, Richard, is taking ideas so people can read the book, you know, and uh, you know, read the book and say great idea, but it's moving it from idea to action, right? So how do I take action? And it takes bravery sometimes to send a note to your boss saying, hey, I want to talk with you a little bit about my career. Some people are highly uncomfortable doing that and they need to find the time and space to do it. They need to try it. I mean, the boss is going to give you one of two answers, either it sounds great or I don't have time for that. But at least now, you know, as opposed to never doing it and never knowing. Right. It reminds me
0: of an, an assertiveness course I once went on. And I was astounded by this course because the, the principal lesson was if you want to be more assertive, prepare more, just just go, have gone over in your head what it is you're going to say, and that's what you're advising here, right? Take some time out, think about it, think about the steps you would take, right? And then you're 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 already halfway to making that request, right?
1: Well, um the uh, podcast "Be Brave at Work," one of the key behaviors that I'm hearing from people who are attempting to demonstrate bravery in the workplace is this need to be more present with that conversation. So if I'm gonna to speak to you about something that takes bravery to talk about, uh, having practiced it, uh, maybe finding an accountability partner who I could run it through a few times with just to see how I can say it in ways that would not be offensive because I am attempting to be respectful, but being fully prepared, present, not thinking about the other 50 things I have to do at that moment, not bringing my technology with me and getting distracted by the phone ringing, but being totally focused on that person saying, I really want to help you. I want to share with you something that you could be doing differently to be more effective. Are you open to hearing it? Most people will say absolutely. And then you share it. And you hope that in that conversation, the person says, wow, I've not heard that before. Or why do you feel that way? Right. You want to encourage some type of uh, conversation.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Um, now where we've only got a few more minutes left. So, um,
0: I'll let you choose, right? You know, there's several topics in the book here. Um, what, what, perhaps one, one other that you would uh, care to share in terms of people uh, driving their own career?
1: Sure. You know, I think uh, another chapter that's a little fun is called uh, Play the Hand You've Been Dealt. And so I find in experiences that I have with clients in our first three to four hours together, they love to tell me about how challenging their current experience is. And I'm a great listener, so I'm certainly happy to sit there and get paid to listen (laughs) to how horrible your current experience is. Uh, At some point, though, I will pause them and say, you know, thank you for sharing with me about your experience. It sounds like it's really tough here. What are you going to do about it? It will be way more effective for us to talk about what we're going to do versus what you're experiencing. So what you're experiencing is interesting. I'm not diminishing it and being disrespectful, but more of our time and energy needs to be spent on what you're doing about it and so this is really people playing the hand they've been dealt and like at a poker table you're dealt five cards sometimes you'll have a good hand sometimes you won't have a good hand uh, won't have a good hand but whatever hand you get it's the hand you've been dealt right so sometimes you're dealt a great hand where you get along with people and you're getting a lot of recognition and you love the company and everything's fantastic and sometimes you're dealt a bad hand right where Things are not what you were told they would be and things aren't going well and you're not having good relationships whether you've been given a good hand or you've been given a bad hand you have to play the hand you've been dealt and i tell people there's three things that they can do they can either fold which is decide that this is not the right job not the right company not the right time and more time and energy on my car- part could be spent finding the right opportunity for me they can bluff which is not a great strategy i think bluffing works Great briefly like a day or two but not long term pretending like i like my boss and pretending like i like my job because uh, bluffing will collapse at some point or the area that i work most with clients which is taking action you know what can i do differently than i'm doing today in order to improve this relationship so people need to just recognize whatever hand you've been dealt it's the hand you've been dealt now what are you going to do about it right yeah and that makes so much sense Good. All
0: right, Ed. Well, I know we don't have you for too much longer. So, um, you know, huge thanks, you know, and and you indulge the diversions. You know, I really appreciated that, you know, the the uh, delve into psychological safety such an important topic, uh, you know, as well as as the the others we've just mentioned around uh, driving your career. So uh, thanks once again. Do you want to flash up the book once more for people watching?
1: (laughs) Sure. Drive your career.
0: Drive your career. Available online everywhere. Oh, good bookshops. We'll put the links to the books. We'll put the we'll put the links to your your company's website, uh, Excelsius. And uh, yeah, uh, anything else you'd like to share in terms of people who want to learn more or, or reach out? You know, what's what's the best way they can get more of Ed?
1: Well, I want to thank you for your time today, Richard. I thought this was a great organic conversation. So I really appreciate your flexibility in respect to the topics we talked about. Folks can go to excelius.com. That's EXCELLIUS.com. And there's plenty of information there if you're interested uh, to hear more about Ed.
0: (laughs) Good. Wonderful. Uh, Thank you so much. Thanks once again. Um, Enjoy the rest of of your day. uh, Great. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Humans, human-focused coaching and leadership programs,
1: head to firsthuman.com.